Uh, good morning. It's good, uh, it's good to be with you. It's good to be back among the land of the living. Uh, I, I was not feeling well right around this time last week. And so I want to begin just by thanking Matt for filling in for me. Uh, he, he was actually scheduled to preach this morning. And Saturday morning, he got a text. <laughs> a text no preacher wants to get. Um, but he, he was faithful and consistent, and, uh, and I'm really grateful for him filling in for me. And I'm, I'm sitting because my legs are still a little weak, um, but we're, we're going to get through this. Uh, <coughs> so we've been in and are now at the tail end of a series uh, called Generous God, Generous People. And, and we've been exploring uh, this idea of, of, of what's, what's the relationship between a God who so loved the world that he gave? A God who in the core of his being is generous. What's the relationship between a God like this and uh, a people who are made in his image? Uh, and so we've been exploring this theme of generosity, and it, it might sound odd this morning, uh, especially the Sunday before Christmas, to, to talk about anger, but that's how I'd like to begin this morning. And so if, if you would do me a favor, think of a time, think of a time when you were angry. Think of a time when you were angry. And I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean yesterday when you were doing your last minute Christmas shopping and someone cut you off. Uh, I, I don't mean that one night last week when you were putting the last toy away during bedtime in your kid's room only to hear the bin of Legos being dumped out two feet behind you. Not that that's ever happened to me. Uh, I'm not talking about th this kind of anger. No, I want you to think of a time when you were so angry it felt as if a fire had been lit in your soul. A time where you were so angry, it was palpable. Now, whether or not you were aware of this at the time, whatever, whenever this was for you, uh, the reason why you were so angry in this moment is because something deeply internal to you was violated. Something that you value so deeply, a belief, a commitment that you cherish was in some way violated, was in some way trespassed. And the anger that you felt in that moment was a, a rebellion against it. It was a reaction. The anger uh, is, is an, emotional, uh, an emotional reaction to, to some vision of justice that you held deeply. Now, with that in mind, I want us to turn to our text this morning. Because, here's why, in our text this morning, God is angry. God is angry, and he's not just a little angry, God is very angry. And here's what we'll find. Similar, similar to how when, when you were angry, if you were to reflect upon why, you would actually learn some things about yourself, things that you value, things that you hold dear, 
things about your vision of justice, what's right and what's wrong. Similarly, when we consider God's anger this morning, it tells us a few things about him. And we learn some very important things about the heart of God, about his vision of justice. So if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of James. We're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word for God's world. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. This is God's word for God's world. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Pray, Pray with me. Father, oh, what, what words. As we pause now, Lord, and reflect upon your scriptures, words that, that mysteriously you yourself have breathed, uh, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that as we explore what makes you angry, we might actually get to know you better. We might actually we might actually get to know a vision of justice, of what's right and what's wrong, that, that is your very heartbeat. Please don't let us leave unchanged this morning. We, we love you, Father, because you first loved us, and we pray in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. All right, what a, what a text for this morning. Um, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I read or hear these words, they, they land pretty heavily on my heart. Um, these aren't comfortable words for me to, uh, to hear, let alone to read, let alone to read to a group of people a few days before Christmas, right? These are difficult and hard Words, But here, here's what I want to, first thing I want to point out this morning as we consider these words. I, and this dawned on me as I was preparing for this. I, while these words are uncomfortable for me, I think it's worth pointing out that there are many, many people in this world for whom these words are such good news. There are many, many people in this world for whom these words are such good news. And maybe you could understand how they might be if, if you have ever had an unjust landlord. 
Maybe you could understand how these words might be good news if, if you've ever had a boss who has an extremely unhealthy relationship with power. Maybe you could understand how this might be good news if, if you've ever been on the underside of any sort of systemic economic injustice. See, in, in these words, what we discover is that God is angry. And I want to begin this morning by exploring what is it that God is so angry about. Because again, when we discover this, then, then what we'll find is we learn some very important things about God and his heart. And so, so who is it exactly that God is angry at? I mean, that really, I mean, when I read this, I, like there's this internal gravitational pull away from the text. Like I, when I read these words, I, the, the first thing I want to do is distance myself from them and be like, well, there's no, I mean, that's not me, right? I, I sense that in myself. And so let's, let's ask the question, who, who is God talking to here? And we might be tempted to stop with the first few words. Now listen, you rich people. And yet, if, if we just stop there, we're actually missing out on something very, very important. Because what we are going to discover is that it's, it's not simply rich people or people who have a lot of financial resources whom God is angry at, but rather rich people who use their riches in particular ways. A few ways, actually. A few ways that in many ways embody uh, an utter lack of generosity. In fact, we might describe this text as, as describing three ways to not be generous. And so we begin with the first. James writes, Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you. It's interesting. How, how is it that things rot? How is it that things are eaten by moths? How is it that things corrode? Like, what are the conditions that have to be in place in order for these things to happen? Well, in order for something to rot, it has to be just sitting there. Right? In order for something to be eaten by moths, it has to be just sitting there. Right? In order for something to corrode, it has to be just sitting there. It seems that one of the ways that the way we use our financial resources makes God angry is when we don't actually use them, but when they just sit there whether that be to reinforce some sort of sense of one's status or identity, whether it's to reinforce some sense of security. God gives us the resources that we have so that they can be used. Right? And this is tantamount to what James says. James then just sums it up. He says, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. But there's, there's another qualifier. There's another qualification as we keep reading. 
James writes this, he says, The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. He's describing a way of using money that in some way, in some way is tantamount to an act of injustice against others. And especially in this context, and probably ours to a degree as well, the, those people who would be mowing the fields, or as the next verse says, that the harvesters would occupy kind of probably the lower rung of the socioeconomic ladder. And so here what we find is another qualification for those who, who use their financial resources, or we should say withhold their financial resources in such a way that that actually harms those who are trying to just make a living. Right? There's some sense of economic injustice happening here. And, and finally, James writes, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. That's heavy, heavy language. And again, what each of these things point to is something about God. Because remember, what it is that makes us angry reveals things that we value, reveals things that we hold dear, that we cherish. And so, how we might summarize these words so far is that these really present to us three ways of using money or three ways of not being generous that make God angry. One is by not using it. Another is by using it to, in some way, take advantage of the poor. And another way is by prioritizing our own comfort and pleasure over the basic needs of others. Now, let, let me underscore one insight from all of this, and it's this. It's not that having wealth or having riches in and of itself makes God angry, right? This is not a rich person bashing text at all. That's not the point of this at all. It's what we do or don't do with the financial resources that we've been given. In other words, having money doesn't bring God's judgment, but it does bring a sacred responsibility. One that if, if forsaken, if neglected, makes God upset. And so what I'd like to do for the rest of this morning is, is just draw our attention to a few things that we learn when we consider God's anger in this text. God's anger tells us a few things about him. And the first is this. God's anger tells us who he loves. God's anger tells us who he loves. Now, it might sound odd to speak in terms of love and anger in the same sentence, uh, unless you're a parent. <laughs> then you're like, oh yeah, <coughs> love and anger, they happen all the time with my kids. In fact, if you want to guarantee never to be angry, don't love anyone. And so what God's anger tells us is who he loves. Now, now I'm going to ask a question that I, as I was preparing this morning, in my basement with my five-year-old daughter crawling all over me because she's the early riser in the family, 
this is a question that I said out loud as I was going over my sermon. And this is the question. Who does God love? And, and I said this out loud this morning in my basement, and, uh, and I was so proud of her. Without missing a beat, my daughter Esther shouted out, Everyone! And I'm like, yes! That's the right answer. God loves everyone. And it's true. God's, for God so loved, what? America, that he gave his... Oh, wait. How did, oh, no, that's a different verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? God loves everyone, right? And yet, as we read this story, and as we consider the anger of God, we learn something else. See, God loves everyone, but God loves the poor. God loves everyone. God loves the poor. God's heart breaks for the vulnerable. God feels a weight upon himself for the voiceless, for the powerless. You read the biblical story and you cannot escape this reality. You cannot escape it. In fact, if you were to spend any time reading the, the prophets of old, the, the Old Testament prophets, the, the, the prophets of Israel, these people whom God chose to be his mouthpiece for, for the people of Israel, there were three major themes throughout the prophets that you would find surfacing again and again and again. One of the first things you would find is the prophets constantly calling the people of God away from idolatry. Right? They were constantly being tempted to worship the idols of their neighboring countries. The second theme you would see time and time again in the Old Testament prophets is, is these prophets calling out the people of God for what we today would call hypocritical religion. Anytime the, the people, the leaders of God's people, the people entrusted with, with shepherding, God's people toward faithfulness to him. Anytime the leaders, uh, their hearts began to drift. Anytime that they, they began to, to simply allow their duty to become reduced to leading the people of God through rote practices of, of religion. And yet their hearts were so far from God. God got upset about that. Right? Idolatry hypocritical religion, or we might call it toxic religion. But there's this third theme that we see throughout the prophets that we cannot ignore. And that was this constant call to care for the poor. Time and time again, throughout the biblical story, we see God's heart breaking for the poor. And in fact, in the, among the ancient people of God, which was a largely agricultural society, and there was even a practice that was expected and called gleaning, which is if you had a field, whatever the crop was that you, that you were growing, uh, you were expected to leave the outer ring of that field unharvested. Right? Don't collect the fruit of the field on that outer ring. Why? So that the poor people in your community could come and help themselves. Right? So that they could glean from what was left 
over God loves the poor. He does. And if, if this is God's heart, right, if God loves the poor, what should this mean for his people? Like if God's heart breaks for the vulnerable, and I've been throwing out the word poor kind of casually as if there's one universal definition of what this word means, when in reality, poverty is a very complex and multi-dimensional reality. There are all sorts of different forms of poverty. There's generational poverty, urban poverty, suburban poverty, situational poverty, right? We often think in terms of money when we think of poverty, but there is relational poverty, right? And, and so whatever else it might mean, at the heart of it is, is this idea of not having access to resources one needs in order to thrive. And it's these people who, who God's heart breaks for. This is one of the things we discover when we consider the anger of God. And I, and I wonder, and I want to ask the question, what might it look like for God's church? What might it look like for Park Church to continually grow in cultivating a heart for the poor? And there are many different ways to answer this question, but one of them, I think, one way, is to increasingly practice a heart and a posture of solidarity. Of solidarity with the poor. Uh, when, when I was in college, I was a junior at Whitworth University in Spokane, Washington. Uh, and and there, there was a span of a few months where some good friends and I decided that what we were going to do is every Friday night, we were going to head downtown to downtown Spokane, pretty exciting scene. And, and we were just gonna make ourselves present in a part of town that typically you would probably want to avoid. And we dressed for the occasion, but what we ended up doing was just spending time with people. And, and I'll never forget one evening, a friend of mine went and we, we ended up sitting down next to a couple guys who were panhandling uh, one of them had a guitar. They were just sitting there um, and, and started talking with them, heard a bit of their story. It became very clear very quickly that, that they, they both had some substance abuse problems. Um, and yet they were able to carry on conversation. And, and really our only agenda was just to sit there and to just be present with them. And... Where we were sitting happened to be not too far away from a kind of a nicer restaurant. And there were two, two groups of people I recall who came out of the restaurant and walked past us while we were sitting there. And, and one group included a couple students from my school. And I saw them coming and all sorts of thoughts ran into my head like, oh wow, under, this, this will be interesting. Uh, and, and sure enough, they get close and they just kept walking. And part of me thought I would, you know, say hello. Um, but, but it very quickly became clear to me that they didn't even notice me. They just walked right past me. And I'm, I'm not used to not being seen. I mean, I'm 
you all are staring at me right now, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not used to not being seen, and yet in this moment, it was as if I was utterly invisible. And then another group walked out of the restaurant, and they, and they walked by us, and they did notice us. Probably not for the best of, of reasons, because they began to harass us. Uh, and, and as they were walking away, one guy, one guy put up a choice finger in our direction and, and mumbled something like, I get a job, or something like that. And, and like, here's, there's part of me that wanted to be like, dude, I'm a junior at the preppy Christian college, like right up the street. Come on, are you, are you serious? Uh, but I, I didn't say anything. And, and what I felt more than anything in that moment was anger. Not for me, but for these guys that I just met. Right? I was frustrated and I was angry. Because the reality is they actually did need jobs. Right? But probably what they needed first was to get into a good rehab center. Right? You see, God, God loves the poor. His heart breaks for the vulnerable. And I wonder what might it look like as a church to, in, to increasingly move toward a place of solidarity. God's anger tells us important things about his heart, one of them being who he loves, which is everyone, including the poor. His anger also tells us what he expects. His anger tells us what he expects. And he expects those who have been given much to be generous. There's this clear expectation that God has for those who have been given much to be generous. Now, this is a very different idea. This is a very different way of thinking about it than the ethos of the culture in which we live today. The, the ethos, the environment of today's culture says, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, then I'm good. Right? And frankly, that's a good, that's a good thing. Right? I, I, I much prefer to live in a society like that than many others. And yet, God's perspective says something different. God's perspective says, if someone is in need and I am able, I should help takes that line and it pushes it even further. There's this beautiful line in, uh, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, which is this collection of ancient wisdom sayings. And the line goes like this. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. Think about that for a minute. What does that mean? Why, what is it about a group of people that when they prosper, when they land a big deal, when they get a big promotion, when their investments take off, right? Why should that, what is it about them that makes the city rejoice? Well, to be righteous in the Bible, it's a big idea. And at the base of it is this idea of being in a right relationship with God and therefore being one who lives rightly. 
To be righteous is to be in a right standing or a right relationship with God and therefore to be one who lives rightly. And so if one does have a relationship with a God who is so generous and they are increasingly becoming the sort of person who reflects the very heart and character of God, then of course the city will rejoice when they prosper. Because they are the sort of people, the righteous are the sort of people who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the well-being of others. The righteous are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the well-being of others. God's anger tells us some very important things about who he is. It tells us who he loves. It tells us what he expects. But perhaps most profoundly, it tells us who he is. It tells us who God is in his very core. Because according to the biblical story, God is not like a distant landlord. He's not the sort of God that stands back at a distance, up in heaven on his throne, and says, okay, everyone, this is how you're to live. You need to be generous. You need to treat each other kindly. You need to be selfless. No, no, no. According to the biblical story, God is the sort of God who, when looking upon a world in need, when looking upon a world lost, when looking upon a world that had curved in upon itself, he did not stay in the comfort of the riches of heaven, but he left everything to come to our world and to ultimately give his very life. This is the content of what we celebrate right now in this season. A God who forsook all of the riches of heaven, who became poor so that he might come and give us the life that we were created to have, that we were created for. God's anger tells us something about who he is. Now, before I pray this morning, I want to I close just with two things. Two things as we come to the end of this series on generosity. And, and, and the first is this. Generosity is an invitation for everyone. Now, we've, we've talked, especially this morning, about money, right? When the, some of the first few words you hear are, you rich people, in, in a text. We've, we've talked about money. And, and yet, generosity is so much bigger than financial resources. And we, we come here and we gather here from all sorts of different life experiences. And then the reality is that the call, the invitation to be generous is a posture of the heart. It's not simply something having to do with money. Some of us have a tremendous amount of time. What a gift. What a resource. Some of us have the ability to, to connect with others relationally and have a very wide relational bandwidth. What a gift. Right? Generosity is so much bigger than just money. But the, the second thing I'll say this morning is this, and that is that generosity is always the fruit 
of knowing first the generosity of God. The way that we talk about generosity here is, is it's always the fruit of having first encountered the lavish, gracious, loving generosity of God that we encounter when we look in Jesus. And any sort of generosity that flows or that comes is a result of first being personally acquainted with the God who gives. My hope and my prayer is that we as a church family would, would increasingly become familiar with the God who so loved the world that he gave. And that as we increasingly know and behold the glory and the beauty of this God, that, that we might actually increasingly become more like him. Would you pray with me? Father, uh, we, we pause now, and I, I feel the need to, to be reminded of the fact that you have given us so much. Everything from the air that we breathe to the food that we eat to the embraces we enjoy every day. They're all gifts from you because it's who you are. And Father, we live in a world which is not the way it's supposed to be in so many ways, and each and every single one of us feel that reality in various ways. And, and therefore, things happen in this world that make you angry. Things happen to us, things happen within your creation that are not the way they're supposed to be. And as we, like we did this morning, reflect, Father, on that which makes you angry, I ask that you would help us to, to know you better, to know your heart. Father, may the things that make you angry make us angry. Uh, we ask that you would give us eyes to see those who are easy not to see around us. Father, I ask that anyone in here who, who has not encountered your generosity personally, that they would, that they would come to see you as the God of grace, the God of love, the God who's given more than we could ever imagine. Father, that we might increasingly become a generous people. We, we love you too. And we pray, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, who gave everything for us. And we, we pray by the power of your spirit, who's here with us this morning, even now, stirring the affections of our hearts for you. Amen.